0: I'll start because there's a little bit of an introduction, and um, it's hello, uh, good evening, welcome everybody. My name is Mike rain of Notes from the Hill, and uh, you can find out more about the work I do at my website, mikecrane.co.uk. It's just really helpful if you follow Notes from the Hill, if you subscribe to the podcast, if you listen to this on the podcast, and and you click lots of likes. That just just helps us get some visibility. Um this upland live series is all about talking to people who also have a passion for the upland sometimes in different ways you know we've talked to people from lots of different backgrounds from the national park from farmers all sorts of people and uh, we've got a really special one this week because so uh, without the work of of this young man then none of us know where we are when we're in the hills because uh because phil our guest tonight works for the Ordnance survey something i know everybody's passionate about And, and, you know, we've all dreamed of this, haven't we? I've got my scout badge for map making. Uh, We used to do trigonometry around scout fields. And, uh, you know, when I was a boy, the dream of marching from trig point to trig point with a theodolite on the shoulders of spending days checking footpaths and contours would have been perfect life. However, I don't think it's like that anymore, is it? So uh, before I say any more rubbish, I'm going to introduce you to mountain leader rock climbing instructor geospatial expert member of the old survey staff team and the man behind chasing maps so phil genge welcome to upland lives how are you today
1: thank you much i'm doing well um as i I said to you just before the course so yeah 15 months without mountains it's showing um I, i live very close to the os hq which is down in southampton so yeah 15 months of Seeing lots of sea and lots of new forest flat areas, but not a lot of mountains. So I've definitely missed Wales at this point, but yeah, otherwise it's going really well.
0: Yeah, I mean the new forest looks lovely. We've seen it on um, oh, yeah. autumn watch and winter watch. You know, it looks great. But uh, yeah, snowdon, yeah, is <laughs> nice as well. Yeah. Well, so, before we go any further, your job is. Um, geospatial geospatial expert now i don't know what a geospatial expert is and it it kind of amuses me to say can you just be a geospatial you know how do you become a geospatial expert and what if somebody's not an expert are they just a geospatial so um (laughs) ignore the terrible humor what is a geospatial expert
1: so i mean if if i'm being pedantic then i'm a geospatial consultant which is a slightly different thing but generally speaking The geospatial field or the geospatial industry is anything to do with geodata. And geodata is any data that has a location on it. So, be that an address, be that the physical location of an object, be that map making, be it uh, map printing to some extent, the geospatial industry, virtually anything that requires geo, geography in some way, you have something to do with geospatial. And I mean, geo is the world, spatial is the location in the world that it's really just that and um, you could argue the vast majority of people at os are geospatial experts um take away our admin team take away our iit team and the rest are geospatial experts to some degree would just do slightly different things in slightly different departments
0: does that go into those um i remember doing the job for the geographical information systems are you working with those is it that sort of thing
1: yes so so specifically my team um as the consultancy team we use a whole raft of geospatial systems and geographical information systems um they range from online systems bespoke systems to desktop systems some of them are open source so you could all technically download there's a system called qgis you can download that you can get open data from more than survey and you can play around with your own data and doesn't actually take that much to use and they're very user-friendly these days so as long as you can use Microsoft Word you can probably use QGIS as well but then once you go further in that and you want to do more analysis or some more in-depth sort of cartography then you need to probably do a course of some sort just to get your head
0: around it okay you're getting ahead of us there we are <laughs> we are going to talk about the open source stuff because that's quite an interesting development but just just to help us what well, you've been working since eight this morning what, doing what you know? What what's a typical day? What's a day like in the life of a geospatial expert? I think
1: it's fair to say there is no standard day, at least not for our team anyway. So our team we're mainly focused on what's known as public sector bodies. So that's your local authorities and your national departments, your government departments. We work quite closely with the likes of Welsh Assembly, the like of Scottish government as well, and really it's whatever geospatial support they need. So. At the moment, in in case you haven't noticed, there's a pandemic going on. So actually, a lot of our work is focused on that, not so much in the last couple of months, but certainly this time last year, we were almost full time working, supporting departments with this pandemic. And a lot of our work at the moment is around addresses and addressing. um, Routing, so trying to work out, for example, best route vaccination centres, best routes to test sites, that sort of thing. And usually we work at a national scale. So it's very rarely just a small local authority. We normally work at a national scale supporting that of national organisations there. And typical day for me, I'd say probably a third of it is meetings of some sort, another third is problem solving of some sort, and then a third of it, if I'm lucky, is doing actual geospatial work as such. So it really depends on the day and it does depend on the customers as well. If three or four customers contact me in the morning and say I need help today guess what I'm doing that day
0: (laughs) so so within the bounds of sort of um, what you're allowed to say because this is all you know this is work isn't it are you are you mapping where the vaccinations have been you say are you mapping the best route to get the vaccinations to the vaccination centers you know what's the the practical element that affects us that the need your survey to help with. It, it depends a bit on who's
1: asking. Um, so we, we certainly would tell the customer if they say, this is the informa- this is information we have. We want this map and sort of analyze whether this is as efficient as it could be. So say we know people, not necessarily vaccinations, but um good example, when, it, when we were talking about so the local restrictions, um, where are people moving, are people sticking to lockdown rules, that sort of thing, we'd certainly help with that sort of analyzing people movement to some extent. Um, but on the vaccination centre side and test centre side, it's more trying to work out: if we put a test centre here, how? What's the maximum driving distance that people would be expected to do, or walking distance, whatever? And same for test, uh, for vaccination or test centres, it doesn't matter either way. It's trying to find those sort of catchment areas, and the problems are quite standard these spatial problems. It's the same problem you have if you're trying to site a new school. Well, where do you need to put a school for maximum effect? And it's basically the same thing with these test centres, just it's a different thing that needs to be cited and outside of covid we would help organizations with the same thing so there's a local authority down in the cell I'll say a local authority a clinical commissioning group down in the cell that is currently planning on potentially putting a new hospital or minor hospital in place well we can help them with the analysis around whether the places that they've identified are actually suitable given what's already there and given the transport link
0: takes me back to sphere of influence in geography and hinterlands things like that which which is, is well i think it's interesting i'm not sure if everybody is and um, but of course you therefore must be the person who can tell us what local means you you must have worked with that phrase uh, um, <laughs> which is causing lots of arguments at the moment what's local phil
1: <laughs> we generally stay out of politics <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, to, to be fair the, the honest answer there is local is however you define local and as much as i hate to say it that way ultimately local can be europe i'm not saying that that's os's stance and where you should go by the way i'm just saying local can be whatever you define as local so. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah yeah if you need a an international stadium then the local one is in london or cardiff isn't it or whatever yeah exactly so. yeah yeah back to geography again not it did you didn't do geography are you a geographer at heart or it,
1: it depends how you define geography so my <laughs> i i actually studied geographical information science as the degree right. so i the way i explained it i started i studied coloring in but with photoshop instead of crayon <laughs> and it's actually it, it, it's surprisingly accurate so yeah
0: <laughs> don't tell them don't tell them so how does all this relate to making maps you know i've got a shelf full of maps here and i'm sure lots of people listening have got a bookcase like mine that's full of pink and brown maps how does what you do help me
1: in, in various ways so th- there is a distinction to be made here that Ordnance survey as a business we are basically split into four distinct business groups and um, on the one hand we have the group that most of your viewers listeners will will relate to which is the business to consumer branch So that's Mm -hmm. the part that deals with the the maps you see behind me. They're the old ones and the new ones and the OS maps. Generally speaking, the 1 to 25 and 1 to 50,000 mapping products, not the data underneath it. So already a distinction there, which causes no end of confusion for people. We then have the business to business branch. And this is very much if I, as a big utility company, want to buy ordnance survey data to well, basically to manage my business, so to set up where I want power lines or cabling or that sort of thing, you buy that directly from us, they buy it in an annual license scheme, and then they do whatever they need to do with it. Any businesses out there in this sort of category of industry thinking of buying data, don't, you will not be able to afford it that way. Simple answer there. Um, but there is another branch in there, and that's the part. Community. So Ordnance Survey relies very heavily on partners and um, partners are other geospatial businesses that in, in simple terms get Ordnance Survey data for free to then resell it and pay royalties back. So basically my, my own business is a partner business so I can access all of Ordnance Survey data, create a solution for a customer and then just pay the royalties for whatever I do. So hence why I can produce mapping for people. Without having to buy all of the And, and yeah. then, uh, yeah. Oh, good.
0: Quite a lot in the in the apps thing. I want to come back to the apps. Just just stick with a map on your shelf there. How does how you know how they're made these days? I mean, you know, they were made with theonolites and trig points. That's all redundant now, isn't it? Um, to some extent, yeah. You can tell people <laughs> it made from an aerial photograph. You had a really good aerial photographs in the seventies update with satellite images how does it actually get made nowadays
1: so the the maps you see on the shelves they they start their life much earlier they start their life as uh, basically what our surveyors survey on in the field and our surveyors don't survey for these maps specifically they survey for what's known as the master map of great britain master map of great britain just giving you an idea of scale in urban environments is surveyed at a scale of one to one thousand two hundred and fifty. So, every centimeter on the map is 12.5 meters on the ground. In the, so we call it rural areas, but it depends on our definition of rural. It's 1 to 2,500, so every centimeter is 25 meters on the map. And then in the upland and moorland areas, which is where most of us mountain leaders operate, you're looking at 1 to 10,000, so every centimeter is 100 meters on the map. That's the data our surveyors collect. And when I say our surveyors, I mean both ground-based surveyors are so literally boots on the ground but also our remote sensing surveyors and remote sensing surveyors work from aerial imagery we at the moment don't use satellite imagery we have our own planes that fly um, this year has been an amazing plane for our an amazing year for our plane capture because for probably the first time in living memory we were able to fly more or less everything we wanted to fly without traffic control telling us the skies are full Wow. no 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 prizes for guessing. why that might have been wow
0: have you made and up taking advantage of that this year has it been a great year for
1: it then absolutely and what was really nice and actually our flying team were really happy with that because they could do all of that with just one plane so we have we don't actually own our planes we lease our planes and we changed planes i think last year beginning of last year we changed over planes we only have one plane available but actually we only needed one, because normally we have to shift around and fit around other traffic, and this year we were able to do everything with one plane, meaning less environmental impact, basically less crew needed to start it, and we got everything done that needed. Now, I was was just going to say, so from that we then surveyed the master map, and that master map is the ground information, or the base information needed, for our cartographers to then produce that mapping.
0: So that survey is captured now from this year. Yeah. When will that feed through to the maps we buy? And um, you know, will you actually move that fence that's been bugging me for years, or that uh, wall that I've been using to catch out mountain leader trainees for years? You know, will those moves get made?
1: So the answer, the answer to all of these, is always depends, and it's always a really unsatisfactory answer <laughs> from my side because I would love to say yes or no, and. Um, we update the both the master maps, so the, the actual survey data and these sort of maps um, on the basis of two revision cycles. We have one that's known as continuous revision. Continuous revision means if a new motorway gets put in somewhere or a major housing estate gets put up or uh but someone builds a dam somewhere, so the really big things that change. That get captured, and we, we deal with sort of various categories of capture. But the highest category, I think Queensberry Bridge crossing being reopened or newly put in, they have to appear in our base data within six months, and generally they do. Generally, those changes are done by our surveyors because they're prestige changes. They are happening on the ground, really noticeable. If we don't capture them, everyone will know we've missed them. So generally speaking, we do that every of yeah, what well, we do that as soon as possible within six months. And the, so we the then,
0: upline, if people are using OS apps, then that updates yeah. straight away, presumably. Obviously, and the paper when you have to wait for the next print run.
1: Sadly, sadly, it's not that easy, um, because the upland environment, most of the change isn't considered major change. So actually, the upland environment tends to be reviewed once every five years. So every five years, our planes will fly the area and what well, we've done that this year, so now it's gone to our Remote survey staff who will now look at that data, and they will review. As I said about every once every five years, and they will make changes as and when they see it. It's a bit like spot the difference, and <laughs> unfortunately, as most of us will know from our childhood, with spot the difference. Especially if you do it over a large area, you do miss things. And um, fence lines, that sort of thing, really good example of things that are actually surprisingly difficult, even on stereoscopic imagery, so three-dimensional imagery to correctly spot, directly attribute, and to make changes where relevant. relevant. Um, that said, they're, they're reasonably good at what they're doing. So most of the change does appear on there. To then get it onto these maps, they are also reviewed in a cycle. So every, I believe it's also every five years, but not necessarily synchronized, they get looked at again. And when they get looked at, a cartographer has to look at the base data, look at what's already on the map and decide how many changes to make. Yeah, that will depend on an awful lot of factors whether they make those changes because it's not as easy to say, Oh, this line has changed, so we just re this line. By putting that line in, they might have to move something else, they might have to rejig something else. That line might throw contours out of black completely, and they have mm-hmm. to change things there. So, a surprisingly simple change could mm-hmm. create a lot of problems,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then in turn, those problems might actually create more problems for the usability of the map so it's sort of a trade-off between is this change necessary for the map to remain useful
0: well we quite like it where things are not exactly as they are because absolutely uh, <laughs> that's how we test our map leaders then, where it's-
1: absolutely and I, I know plenty of errors on i say errors yeah they, they, are. they are errors I, I know plenty of errors on the maps that i have never reported to anyone at os because i want to use them in my own navigation training so your people sorry, sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: there's, there's some questions coming in here, actually. One of them just re, re, re refers to that, Julie sellers. What exactly is the master map? Are they always correct? So that's the one you hold that you draw all the others from, is it? Yeah, so the,
1: the master map is actually a product that we, we supply. So our public sector customers, which is the final pillar of OS, the public sector, which is basically our government's sort of duty bound work. Um public sector customers and our commercial customers will use this master map. And that's basically your, it, it is based survey data. So it, it's about as accurate as you would see on the building site. It is very, very accurate down to, we're talking centimetre level at this point. at centimetre level accuracy at this point. Um, that data set, you can buy. Um, it costs you an arm and a leg and you buy it, you don't actually buy it, you lease it, so you never actually fully own it. Um, and there are examples out there, so if you search for, uh, for Ordnance Survey master map photography layer, you can actually see what that looks like in general. And that master map is, if considered the authoritative master map of Great Britain, so it's considered correct. That's not to say there aren't errors in it. And naturally, any map, as, as any geographer will know, any map lies. There cannot be such a thing as a true map because the world changes all the time. Um, to give you an idea of the size and scale of that master map, half a billion features within it, making up Great Britain. Half a billion features and twenty thousand changes made every single day. Wow! It is uh, a huge task. So when people ask what we do, because making these maps isn't that hard, that's what we do. That is basically what Ordnance Survey does. That's what we spend the money on.
0: Mind-boggling. I, I think. Just- We've got some geeks here, you know. Russ Hoare, what resolution are <laughs> the photos taken by the plane, i.e. how many centimetres on the ground?
1: I'm hoping our, um, our pilots or flight crew aren't watching this um, because they will probably stone me for this one. I believe it's 12 and a half centimetres. It might be better these days. So we, because we changed planes, I believe we also changed cameras. So I think that resolution has become better. But twelve and a half and centimetre was certainly what we had previously on the old plane.
0: Sounds, sounds impressive to me. Sam and Andrew asked, what about allowing user contributions?
1: So this is something that we've looked at for quite a while. Um, and to some extent, the success of OpenStreetMap has given us an angle to work with here. So we wouldn't take data from OpenStreetMap. That's not something we would do. But generally, crowdsourced content has become better and better. Our biggest problem is that our, especially our government customers, come to us because they know that our surveyors work for a specification. They know exactly what they're doing. They are trained for months and months and months, and then go through another peer process before they even allow to add changes. All of that means our data is considered accurate and true. And although we don't directly use our data in court, so if, say, you have a boundary dispute, you can't just use our data. That training from the surveyors means they could potentially be called up as witnesses for that. So there's, there are quite a lot of things that would have to happen with user contributions to, be, to use them directly. Mm. That said, we do have something called change intelligence. So if people know of things that are wrong, whether that's on the master map or these maps there, let us know. We might know about them already. Um, if we do, then the more evidence we have, the more likely it is it gets changed. We might genuinely have no idea, especially in the upland environment. Say a bridge has collapsed. I know of one bridge in North Wales that is still on the map because I know no one's reported it and I won't report it because I like it as a teaching tool. If someone did, then that's actually a good thing. Um, and it's the same with, um, so for example, some of the landslides that have happened in Snowdonia not too long ago, they will have changed the topography slightly. Actually, mm-hmm. chances are that the relevant people looking at the, at the imagery don't necessarily know that until they look at the imagery so that sort of intelligence is something we're actually really keen on um and in preparation for this interview i did actually speak to one of our surveyors in the highlands who covers the cairngorms and he said yes he goes walking a lot up there but because he doesn't walk every meter of cairngorms he constantly comes across things that seem to have changed 10 years ago yet on the map they're still in the old state and he does change them when he sees them but yeah by all means send us information and you don't know where to send it to the standard customer service form that we have on our website OSUK, literally yeah. just send it there it gets somewhere and it does get read and notified so it's not yeah. it well, doesn't just good. go in the paper bin yeah
0: because there's not thousands of people working there are there? so these messages will get through
1: yeah exactly i mean we we have oh, how many staff we've we got these days about a thousand two hundred in total i believe and um, but that's everyone including distributing everything yeah. um, and then we have loads of contractors So not all of the work happens in health. So a lot of the imagery interpretation actually doesn't happen in house It's outsourced to other contractors Because it scales up and down depending on how many how much imagery we have Uh,
0: John Wickham's asked a question. Um, Are there any plans to create a vector map in the one or one fifty thousand legend?
1: I mean, th- this is a question from someone who, who clearly understands how mapping works. Um, for those yeah. of you who don't know the difference between a raster map Most and a vector of
0: those map. Going, move on, move
1: on. <laughs> no, 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 no I, I, I can maybe quickly explain it. It's really easy. Um, raster map yeah. is what you see on the printed map. It's basically a Photoshop image that gets manipulated pixel by pixel. A vector yeah. map means I actually I take a line and I then can change the thickness of a line, for example. So it's a slightly different way of working. Um, to answer the question directly, not directly as in there aren't any direct plans however some of the work that's going on that sort of will come online in the next three four five years might give you that um but that's about as much as i can say at this point because we don't actually have any more plans outside of that that are so potentially is, i guess the answer there.
0: i'm i'm looking down some questions have dropped off the bottom and uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to get back to them but i'll work on that um <laughs> a question there was a question that was about gps accuracy and about footpaths and about it all matching up i mean for example i know when you know the public rights of way those green or red things they seem to be added afterwards don't they so they're not always following the the black line that marks a footpath on the map is that is that just because they're overlaid afterwards or are they just just not very good what's the score Uh, with that uh,
1: They're they're technically a different data source. So public rights-of-way come from local highways authorities. Local highways authorities are usually your local councils. Although, for example, Snowdonia National Park is a local highways authority, as far as I'm aware. Um, And that information is legal information. So we take that information as it comes from the local highways authorities and it gets added to the map. Whether it makes sense or not doesn't matter to us. We add it because that's the legal information we're provided with. Not all local highways authorities have a master map that is actually a visible map. Um, technically, the master map, which is a different master map to our master map, um, it can be a text document. So it can literally be textual descriptions of where a mm. path goes. We then somehow need to translate that. So, yeah, some of the public of the way Basically, don't try and defend yourself in court for trespass if it ever gets to that point. Now that this horrible bill has gone through, um, using OS mapping because actually it, that's not the legal definition. That's not the legal map you should use. If you're in doubt, double check with your local highways authority, and they will probably not let you check. They will have it, yeah.
0: um, uh, Simon future lucky day but i'm gonna tell since it's just come straight in. why is it so difficult for us as outdoor instructors to share mapping with clients i teach NNNAS courses and want to be able to hand out extracts without paying a fortune it's a copyright thing isn't it
1: it is and it, it's crown copyright um mm-hmm. so ordnance survey we're not a government department we are a private company, but we're wholly owned by government. I believe the share is a value of one pound uh, that the Department for Business Innovation, Enterprise, and Skills, something like that phase, um, have basically paid us. They have to sign off on everything that we do. So if we suddenly say, Oh, our, all outdoor instructors can have things for free, that's something that they have to sign off on. And actually, that's well, if we're giving it to outdoor instructors, surely we should be giving it to insert a whole raft of industries here the good news is though there are solutions out there but you can't go directly toward and survey because as have now done instructed you are in that business to business category as opposed to go to a partner and i, I will raise my hand and say i do this um, and <laughs> and you can buy it for a lot less money but it is ultimately you're buying it for a commercial purpose not for your private endeavor think um Technically, you should have a commercial license if you are using Microsoft Word for your business. I mean, how many people have that? First question. Yeah. But those of us who are honest, we might actually have it. And yeah. believe me, it costs an arm and a leg. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a confusing
0: world, isn't it, copyright? It all really
1: are... is, yes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to, to answer that question directly, there are partners out there who do that. And if you want to have a chat with me afterwards, I, I more than have to have that conversation with them.
0: Cool. I'm going to ask you another one of my questions because one of the things we tell people is that it was, the Ordnance was set up for military purposes the ordinance survey wasn't it so it was for military purposes that it was decided what was actually on a map and the example I'm thinking of, of people listening will be familiar with this is a, a bridge in capital Keurig by Jim's garage opposite Curig hostel the rocks that's not on the map because the words Plas Keurig, Obliterate where the bridge is, and I'm sure people know loads of other examples of this. So is that just an accident of history? Or is that something that you all say would say, you know what? At this day and age, with all due respect to Place actually we should have the bridge on there and, and move the words Place somewhere else. Is that is that does somebody make those decisions or are they just accidents?
1: So yes someone makes those decisions and um, that's someone being the cartographer who creates that specific map um, there may be very valid reasons that the specifications for the 25 and fifty thousand maps are actually quite quite sizable chunks of documents and they will cover a lot of these things so if i have to place a label where do i have to place the label in relation to the settlement for example it will it will give quite a lot of guidance on that it does also state in quite a lot of cases that critical features should not be obscured so if that bridge is critical and someone has previously removed it it could well be that it was an accident that it was removed in the first place or was hidden in the first place and because no one's complained about it at least not to os no one's ever looked at whether that bridge should be there or not and um, this is again this sort of spot the difference work almost where that cartographer has to have happen to see that that bridge is there but it's obscured by a label when updating this map when for well, i mean how, how many map sheets how many map sheets are they doing they're doing five by five kilometer squares so entire country five by five kilometer squares and we have about 20 people doing that work they don't have an awful lot of time on those maps so those are sort of small things if they're bugging you send us a message about it and it goes in there um,
0: well, I know, I know the one that does bug people, Phil, is how do the time around the edge of the map is? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so this one actually goes back into our history. Um, the, I mean so, some of you might remember and actually I mean, some of the maps I've got back there are historical maps, they're not the modern mm-hmm. ones. Um, specifically, there's a green one just back here and yep. so that's one of your Pathfinder maps, which was the first one to 25,000 series. Um, at that might be a second series, actually. Anyway, um, when we created the 1 to 25,000 maps, um, initially that national series was a relatively small set, well, relatively small size area, and it was literally to fit the country onto map sheets. We then decided to go for slightly larger area covers, and that slightly larger area covered, again, was purely done to fit the map sheet, or to fit the country onto map sheets. One thing I can't answer is why some maps are double-sided, some are single-sided, because no one seems to be able to give me a clear answer of who made that decision and why it was made. Judging by the content of the map, I've got a feeling it had to do with how many features were shown on a map. So if two single-sided maps were very bare, then they were becoming a double-sided one. But then we had this thing called the Outdoor Leisure Series, and the Outdoor Leisure Series was designed initially on top of this national coverage mapping layer to give us national park and specific outdoor leisure spots as continuous mapping. And then throughout the course of rationalisation, we decided, well, if a map is, if if map sheets are completely covered by these outdoor leisure series, we'll just get rid of the map sheets underneath because they're already covered anyway. And ultimately it was in the early 2000s, 2003, 2004. That then became what we know now as the Explorer series and outdoor leisure series combined into one. So hence why in some areas there's massive overlap, and in other areas it's literally just because that happened to be how the country fitted into these countries. That's
0: interesting. So the green ones have gone now.
1: It's all yes, they've all
0: gone. The brown ones are browny orange colour, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Yeah. So the the orange colour is the Explorer series, which I said is is that sort of from I think ninety four. The first one came out, and then two thousand Three or so we combine them all together, and actually, the um, the Land Ranger series is technically the one to 50,000 second series that's not really changed since I believe '74. It's done a style change in 2000, another one when we changed company logos, but other than that, it's basically the same series.
0: And, and while you're on the scale, it's not true that we're going back to one inch to the mile, one to 63,000, and six inch. Is it six inches to the mile?
1: No, it's two and a half inches to the mile, wasn't it? We're not it going No, no, we're not. We're not. Um and actually for, for those of us who are who want to be who like the history, Ordnance Survey has surveyed in metric since nineteen thirty-five. Wow. So we, we still published inch and, and feet in the map, but actually the survey was done in metric since nineteen thirty five. So what before we actually shot the germ. Um and I, I say this as a half German, so I, no offense to Met there. Russ Hall's in
0: here again. How you decide, oh, it's just slipped off there. It was how do you decide what map data is available under OS Open Data. For example, there's no to 25,000.
1: Yes, so that is done by the contract we have with government. So the public sector geospatial agreement includes what data we make available to who, at what cost. Well, I'll say at what cost, not quite at what cost, but whether data is made available for free, free, public sector, etc. Um, public sector have access to this what we call premium data, so 25,000, 50,000, the master map, the address data, the, the things that you can't just download. From. Um okay. And the open data is part of that.
0: It's not not really aimed at us, that is it. Um, going back to the edge of the map, the way to avoid the edge of the map, of course, is to use the app instead of buy the map, isn't it? Or or both. I think most people watching here will have the map in the bag still at least, even if they're using the app on the phone. So how's that OS app thing going? Is that going well? Do you know anything about that, Phil?
1: Um so I have to be careful what I say about that because it's not my business unit. And for those who want to know a lot more about it, um one of my colleagues, Tim, did a webinar for MPA, which might still be available for free actually at the moment. And watch that for all the info, but generally speaking it's going very well. They've just launched OS apps or the OS maps app in Australia. And basically we're expanding internationally now which is amazing and with wow. the same philosophy yeah
0: that sounds that sounds really interesting because the app world is it's fast moving at the moment it's changing yeah feel that almost daily doesn't it yes it is yeah. absolutely and so you but you, the os fit allows other apps to use the data we had chris and uh, david from walkingworld.com last week and they were using os data for, for the maps they were providing through their app and through their website no, not all the apps are using os data though are they open street map is that something different somebody else has done that
1: yes yes so open street map is crowdsourced data um although ironically in this country a lot of the data you see on open street map is actually are open data which they can legally reuse in open street map so you still get OS data to some extent, but then also more data on top of that that we don't release for free. Um, but yeah, so.
0: so the basic contour map does that come from you on OpenStreetMap then?
1: Um, I would have to double check it. It may well be um, OpenStreetMap uses a, as far as I'm aware, uses a underlying height store that creates those contour maps might um, be shuttle radar data at 30 meter resolution might be our 50 meter data that i'll oh, i'd have to double check that it's
0: London, you know, it's a massive job to get that contour map isn't it the, the work that's gone into it over the years from the old survey to to suddenly produce it somewhere else it's just is mind-boggling really
1: yeah i mean creating contours is actually surprisingly easy and I, I know i'm sort of taking away from the effort of running my own business here but it that, that's where a gis system is really useful because as long as i have a height map i can create those contours automated and it Takes me longer to make a cup of tea than for that to run, and um, wow. the question is the quality of the contours. So, take the one to twenty-five thousand after contours. There are a. They're created from a very high-detail, high-data set. Um, can't. I don't believe I can tell you what the resolution is on that one. Um, no. but then also they are then manually cross-checked against so over cartographer has data contours. They are made to fit the underlying land a bit more as well. So it's not quite automated, but it's surprisingly straightforward to do contours. they're probably the least of our concern really in 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 a weird weird way because actually for us as they're highly interesting
0: are we allowed to say harvey's
1: yeah absolutely um i mean that they're a competitor of ours um in some areas however one of the things that os is quite keen on and and i personally i'm quite keen on as well geospatial industry is actually a fairly young industry still and harvey's that yeah they're they're doing amazing work with the data they do it's nice to see that their maps are so popular because they satisfy a niche in the market that we aren't set up to satisfy um if you think of the one to twenty five thousand map, that has to work over the entire country in the flattest areas of norfolk all the way to the hilliest part of scotland whereas harvey can be a bit more selective about what they want to do and how they want to map it, and yeah. in fact, if you, although they have standards for their maths, the fact that they have a lot of different types of maths at similar scales shows you how specialized they actually are with the mapping they do. And mm-hmm. um, So yeah, no, that's absolutely fine to have Harvey there. Um, yeah, so it's always nice have with, really, to have competition really. They start with
0: orienteering, didn't they? And. Um... That they have different features as you say i know the access Land is, is really useful on the os map that's not on the harvey's map and harvey's map has edges you know you can go off the edge of the harvey's map which is really frustrating so there's pros and cons aren't there uh rodney hitch uses the os app says it's brilliant i often get asked about it it's dulling my map reading skills i don't know if you can solve that one phil but it's certainly something i'm worried about because I think we should be using the apps i think it's deaf not using the apps but at the same time we we do have to keep that map reading skill up don't we but um that's a bigger question i mean mean,
1: personally i i I use the os map or the os maps app to print a4 sheets of maps so rather than taking a big fold out map i now take a laminated a4 sheet and then if i really go off that sheet or end up in trouble i've still got my mobile with the app on there to get me out of trouble so in that sense, I'm, I'm still using a traditional map as such, but I will not the
0: uh, app way. Anyway. I'll tell somebody about that, Phil, and actually, you know, we said we're using the uh, OS you know, maps on a phone, but actually we were just using the map on our phone. It wasn't that we were using the advantages the app gives us. It was just an easy way to carry the map. So I suspect yeah. a lot of people here are doing the same as I am with that. It's just an easy way to carry the map, isn't it? In your pocket, move it around, make it bigger and things, particularly as your eyes start to fail. I need to move on from OS really. I'm going to leave the OS for for a little bit because you you've got this other this other thing going on, haven't you? This chasing maps. What what's chasing maps, Phil? How, how and how do you fit that in, and what does it do? Tell us about chasing maps.
1: um I, I guess chasing maps is best described as my paid hobby. um I mean, I, I kind <laughs> of have to cover up the OS logo at this point. But I'm a partner. I'm technically allowed to show it. And yeah, so chasing maps was a idea that came about. Ooh, I don't remember how many years ago now, but I basically realized that there was a gap in the market because although Harvey Maps, good example there, are producing contour-only mapping and you can go to them, you can buy contour-only mapping. Last time I checked, that was at a price point where for me as a loan instructor working in different parts of the country, it just wasn't affordable. It wasn't something that like I could justify buying. Yeah. Now, I was lucky enough that I could create contour mapping for myself. I have the skills, I have the knowledge, I have the technology, I can do all of that. Yeah. But then I realised there are actually a lot of people out there who either don't have the skills of that, don't have the technology, don't know where to start, and even if they did, they can't really be bothered or don't really want to spend two, three hours creating a map. Yeah. Well, with my background, I was able to automate that, so I can now run. Well, my entire map is estate that is that you can buy from my on my website, I can run that in some in the region of three or four hours, and that's creating every single map you can see on there. Wow. Now, it used to take me three or four hours per map with all the setups so it's, it's purely using my skills to basically create a product that people seem to like um it's been an amazing year for me i have no idea why people are buying the maps this year because you know, we can't really go out in the first place and certainly looking at where people have purchased the map but that, that's definitely waiting for places to open up again but yeah it's it, it's basically a service. And it's a luxury. I'm, I mean, I get people saying, why are you doing this? I could just learn to do it myself. And my answer is, well, go for it. Learn yeah, more.
0: So sure. It's not that easy. It's much easier <laughs> to buy them from you. It, but I, I was laughing at what you said there because I think i probably bought more maps this year than any of the previous X number of years because I've just been here planning routes. I've got, I can't look at map now because I've got so many routes that I need to do before. <laughs> I, look at I think it's been that sort of year.
1: But I mean one thing that I am going to do and I was planning on doing it during lockdown but I've just had too much on with with my OS work which does come first of the things I have to be very careful about and yeah. um, I do want to put workshops on where people can learn how to make these maps themselves and I'm planning on doing those as mountain training workshops so hopefully fingers crossed at some point I'll actually be able to teach more people to do that because the more people do it the more awareness is out there and to be honest the more competition I get the better my maps get so I like competition it's a great thing
0: you have to encourage it, don't you just tell me about that. so chasing maps is you you produce contour only maps to certain areas don't you not to everywhere do you what else do
1: you do so so i can i can produce them for everywhere it's just that the pre-made maps that are on the website i I basically do them by demand so if there's an area people want just drop in a line i'll throw them into the processing and they get done next time around Um, But I also have created some for people, specifically for an area where they didn't want other people to have them. Um, So that's also not a problem. And surprisingly affordable. I won't mention prices here, but affordable.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah.
1: But also I'm an OS partner. So if there is specific things that you want to like, 25,000, 50,000 maps for commercial use. Um, If you're an MTA member, or I think AMI has it on their website now as well, BAMEL, I think as well. And um, there is actually some information about how you can access a business printing service where you can print off maps A4, A3, A2 with that data at a per print cost, but licensed for commercial use, so you can actually use it with your clients. And um, if you want more info on that, just let me know. But also I've done wall maps, so I've printed a wall map for a centre in the Brecon Beacons um, from start to finish, one to 25,000, an entire wall coverage. I think it ends up three and a half metres long, wide, three metres wide um and they they put that on the wall in an outdoor center so all of those things can be done and generally speaking going through a partner an os partner it is actually very very affordable so mm-hmm. it it doesn't hurt to ask and i'll I'll be honest with my with my answers so. yeah yeah
0: yeah I've, I've played a bit with the contour on the maps so they're hard to use are, are people liking them are they you know what feedback are you getting from them because it, it's um, really quite startling when you try to use them
1: yeah it is um i'm getting really good feedback and i think part of that is because the the data that i use is not necessarily the highest quality data so well, i say highest quality highest fidelity data so mm-hmm. i'm not showing you the tiniest contours that will get lost in the vegetation anyway what oh, you're yeah. seeing are the contours that you generally see in the landscape um which is one of the key differences to the Harvey maps I've seen. Harvey maps uses a higher fidelity data set, which means you see things on the map that you just would never see on the ground because it's covered by grass. Mm. Um, yeah, generally the feedback has been really good. I've, I have noticed a lot more people buying the, what I call, natural, um, or the natural features uh, maps. Yeah. So you still have your forest on there, you have your active land on there, you have your rocky outcrops on there. And crucially you have the bigger rivers on there as well and yeah with that one people seem to be getting along quite well the pure contour only maps that only have contours on them i'd argue the only way you can really use them effectively unless you are a very very good navigator to start with is alongside a to twenty five thousand map and almost use it as a this is what the map actually looks like now let's have a look at what just the contours look like and marry the two on and yeah yeah it seems to work really
0: really well definitely agree with that you need to get out of the valley and onto the hill and and then get the contour mop out and have a look at it up there but i I like that one that's got the natural features on because i always teach people that the the blue has to sink in and the brown has to leap out Mm -hmm. and just trying to get you a bit like using a magic those magic eye pictures isn't it you know you've got to get seeing a 3d thing on 2d um what's next phil what what's the future are we still going to be buying and using paper maps laminated maps or is it all going to be phones and i mean phones have just changed everything haven't they they're amazing
1: yeah i, I think the, the there are two answers to that one is the answer from a geospatial expert's point of view um paper mapping will never go away completely um even in operational scenarios i mean basically, look at the military look at these forces look at the strategic decision making, or sorry, tactical decision making, a lot of it is still done on a paper map. And even today, in some situation rooms or briefing rooms, you still have a paper map on the wall and later on the map, rather than using a whiteboard or something electronic. Um, Maps don't run out of battery. It's my main argument why I would still use paper maps. And that said, apps are getting more intelligent. There will likely be a time at some point in the future and i don't have a time scale for this this could be in five years it could be in ten years this could be in two years kind really depends on which players in the market start bringing things online and um, where we might not think of a map as a traditional map anymore and think of it like outdoor routing so rather than reading a map you have earphones in your head that basically tell you turn left now turn right now and it's a bit scary for me because I, I don't like that way of navigating. I I don't like following a saddena, but I have, to, I have to admit driving now. I don't drive without a saddena. But I mainly use it because it gives me live traffic predictions. and That's quite useful. I still like to know roughly where I'm going. Um, and yeah. and yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at the time for road atlas, it probably gives you an idea where mapping in general will go eventually. But that said, I've still got a road atlas from last year in my car, so it's never going to go away completely, but the users of mapping will change quite drastically.
0: Yeah, that is reassuring, Phil, because there's a few years between us that you're still using an atlas in a book and paper. Uh, it's it's like,
1: mainly when I run out of battery and I then need to work <laughs> out where
0: I am. Well, you can take a power pack, you know, there's no excuse to run out of battery these days. <laughs> Um, oh, I forgot what I was going to ask you next. Uh, are you excited about this um, future, where where it's going next? Are you, I mean, it, it is a challenging time, isn't it? Because it's changing quickly. People, I'm, what I'm thinking of is these kids are using computer games now with amazing graphics on there. They just want that on their phone, surely. Is that, is that going to come?
1: Got to ask them, uh, phone manufacturers now, unfortunately. Um, I think what, what we're seeing in the in the phone market is that phone sizes have broadly stabilized now. Um yeah. there was there was a time when phones kept getting bigger and bigger and I mean yes we've we've got fold out phones now, but they've not really not really been a big thing. Um people don't tend to take tablets out, so you, you, you end up with this I think they call them tablets, but they basically big phones. Um there is a key, there is one massive disadvantage to phones when using traditional style mapping and that you don't get a sense of the scale. So if I pick up a one to 25,000, I know it's a one to 25,000, one look at it gives me a good idea of the scale that I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a phone, that, that sense of scale is lost. Um, yeah, that, that, I said, I think there will always be a market for, for the printed maps. Um, I am excited what the digital world is gonna bring us. When I did my degree um, about 10 years ago now, the general saying was that 8% of all data in the world has a geographical component to it. I would argue that has increased. I would argue probably closer to 90, if not more percent. And for me as a geospatial expert, almost bringing it full circle back to where we started, the, that is exciting because it means more and more will people want to analyse that sort of location aspect but for us as standard map users, that doesn't really oh, make
0: a difference. <laughs> Tim Jepson's put a comment on the research indicates that people using paper maps are more aware of their surroundings than people following the same route using satnav. Um, but he would say that actually prefers using maps. He's even older than I am actually, so it's not, not surprising, is it? But I do remember you get those linear descriptions or linear maps. If you step off them, you're completely lost, aren't you? And it's a little bit like that, I guess, with the, the phone, it's that sort of analogy, isn't it? It's nice, you know, when I'm planning routes, I, I have the map out on the floor or the table and and it's brilliant. Yeah. But on the other hand, I did a trip last year where we needed, I don't know, six or seven maps and, and having the phone was brilliant. I actually still took the maps because I didn't quite have the confidence not to, but um, been able to, we did the whole thing on the phone because, uh, yeah it worked you know we didn't have to keep uh, getting, see, top it tip,
1: top tip there if you're doing that again and it's basically a linear route through your map then if you go to my business printing portal you can actually print off script maps so you can literally get the, the linear individual maps as opposed to having carried in time
0: oh so just
1: a little bit of shameless advertising
0: there <laughs> no but that's really interesting so if i do a circular route that goes over five or six maps
1: you, you could, could in theory create individual strips of that route yeah
0: wow and if you can do
1: that yourself you don't have to ask me to do that if you can do that yourself you just throw it on the on the that's ordering really board.
0: interesting mountain escapes i wonder how many people watching have recently had to use a paper map in anger to get them out of a tricky situation or is it just a quick glance at an app? i mean the beauty of the app is it just shows you where you are or when when you do your mountain leader assessment it's constant isn't it where are we now where are we now I, i'm sure somebody's going to turn around one day and say just look at your own flipping phone will you? <laughs>
1: yeah i mean in, interestingly on on that one so just last sunday i was i was having a socially distant walk, distance walk with someone and neither of us had a uh, signal so we couldn't just pull out the app we hadn't had the map downloaded and we had to rely on a paper map um, but that said that was more the question of are we doing another five kilometre uh, circle or are we going straight back to the car. So not exactly a not a not a sticky situation as possible.
0: yeah. I definitely equate it to do a calculator. You've got a rough idea of what the answer should be. You just can't be bothered working it out with a pencil. And it's the same yeah. with the map. You've got a rough idea of where you should be, but you just can't be bothered relocating so you you yeah. look on your phone and you know i mean my brother's hilarious talking to his sat going oh no i'm not going that way oh no we're not there so it's the same sort of thing isn't it you still got a bit of map read but we need to embrace all these modern tools because they're yeah. fantastic they really are aren't they
1: and, and in a way actually that that use of the saturn so i i've got the same thing i tend to sometimes tell myself no i'm not going there <laughs> i've now learned when to trust my satnav because it's not just the route it's also the traffic predictions within it and like learning how to use a map, you have to learn how to use those tools and um, there's no way around it. And yes, some of mine too. it, but really you still have to learn how to use
0: Yeah, they're brilliant things. Phil, we're coming to the end there. I don't know if there's anything uh, anybody wants to type in quickly that, they want, that I haven't asked you before we go. Is there anything that you wanted to um, mention or bring up before we come to a close? I mean, I guess there's
1: one. I think I've I've seen the the acronym GPS pop up a couple of times from a few people. Yeah. Um, you can, I, yeah. yeah. So so just just a one note on that. And actually, there's a so I've got a blog um, peaksandlines.com. Um, if people want to find it, I I'll, I'll sort of talk about some of those geospatial aspects on there every now and then. Um, although I don't think I've put anything up there for a good year now.
0: Um, so the blog again,
1: beaten uh, lines. Peaks and lines.
0: Peaks so and peaks
1: lines. like peaks like the mountain peaks and lines like the lines on the map. And, um, talk cool. um, and and so GPS accuracy or GNSS accuracy, so global navigation satellite systems, GPS is the American system also known as NavStar. There are others out there and usually used. Um, yeah, so your mobile phone today, if it's a relatively modern smartphone will have an almost identical accuracy to a handheld GPS receiver um, yeah. because your phone has an internet connection which means correction not, not correction data but the what's known as satellite ephemeral data so basically where the satellite should be at any given point yeah. will be updated quicker whereas on a GPS handheld that has to come down from satellite and after that it's a dedicated GPS or GNSS chip in your phone probably a newer chip than your Garmin etrex from 20 years ago and generally speaking your phone's processor is faster as well. So your so sort of, your GNSS accuracy is usually around eight to twenty four meters in open terrain and that's more accurate than the one to twenty five thousand map will ever be. The one to twenty five thousand map is a cartographic representation, it's not a direct this is exactly where the features. If you want that you need the master map and you will not be
0: able to afford it. That that's really interesting. I always thought GPS would take off more than it did. It did seem to sit a little bit with the uh, apologies, but the geeks. Um, but obviously the mobile phone really has taken off, hasn't it? everybody um last couple of things, then Rodney is talking about the reminds me of the discussion between engineering joins and CAD. Michael Dobinson is a question for you, Phil. Have you got a favorite hidden? Or secret feature on a map, such as hidden names in contours, or in rock markings to do with them, aren't they? Are yeah, so them, or an unusual yeah, so feature on a certain map.
1: No, so, so this this could be a planted question. Hi Dobby. Uh, good to see you on the call. And <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so historically, and this is very much back in the days when the cartographers were scribing by hand, to literally scribing what was originally onto Originally it was on stone, then it was on copper, then it was onto um, plastic sheets. Wow. Literally sat there scribing into it, and if you got it wrong, you had to do the whole sheet again. Um, in those days where everything was manually quality controlled as well, there were some instances of people putting wrong names on the maps, um, their own names in cliff faces, um, shaping forests in shapes that really should not be seen on a public-facing map. Various things, and most of those have been removed just over time. Photographers have taken them out. Technically, they were against guidelines and against specifications, so they shouldn't have happened. They made it through quality control because no one picked them up. So, as a result, they're not deliberate errors, but they're errors that were deliberately made, just not as policy. And there are still some available or around, and specifically, the ones that are well known are the ones down on the south coast or the Art of Wight, on the 150,000 map. If you look in the cliffs around Black Gang Chime, you will find a few names in there. Um, I think you've got Rob, I can't remember the other side now, but you've got a basic name of a few photographers.
0: Oh, they right. will,
1: they're, they're unlikely to be taken out because, well, they're an, they're an artistic representation, and who's to say that the rocks don't have that shape, Then it just happens to spell out mm-hmm. a few names of people who happen to work on those rocks
0: piece of history and you're giving us an excuse to buy another map
1: because yeah exactly <laughs> oh,
0: them, just look at it on <laughs> the app <laughs> i'm gonna have that map <laughs> <laughs> phil i'm gonna have to leave it there that's been absolutely fascinating for me and i think lots of people watching have, have enjoyed it as well so uh, we'll have a look at the comments box after and if there are any questions yeah. on, I'm really sorry about that we, we, we can type in an answer so uh thank you very much indeed phil thanks for joining us no problem at all you're on the hill sometime this year, that would be really nice. Um, next week is Chris Lloyd uh, from Ogham, Ogham Valley Mountain Rescue Team, long standing rescue volunteer, um, really nice chap. You've probably seen him around, and he's going to be the, the final act of this series before we go hill walking and climbing for the summer. So, thank you for joining me. This will be available as a podcast. If there is anybody you think I should be talking to in Upland Lives, anybody you want to find out about, then hey, drop me a line. If you think you should be on Upland Lives, then uh, we'll be joining up a programme for the autumn and we'll start, I don't know, the end of September, sometime like that. Already got a few names in the hat, so we're uh, looking forward to a new series in the winter. But um, next week is Chris Lloyd. Wednesday next week, thanks again to Phil, and I'm going to finish his broadcast now. Enjoy your dinner, folks. Dag en Nostar.